This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here, and I'm excited to be here with episode 87. Oh, just also so we're clear, I'm a recovering sex addict. I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012, and I'm excited to bring to you today episode 87. This is called, What is My Legacy? And today I want to share with you a few things, um, some kind of deeply personal things that are going on in my life. Most of them you know about, but I just want to share a little bit more of a perspective. Um, I think that we all have some really serious struggles to work through in our lives. We always have really hard moments. I think everyone has them, these really hard moments in our lives. And when we begin recovery, these moments sometimes feel incredibly amplified as we start to peel back kind of the numbing and the escaping behaviors that we were using to cope, these really hard moments feel incredibly raw and amplified. Early on in recovery, the difficult moments usually come in the form of slips and relapses. As we work to dig ourselves out of the old patterns and the old cycles that are going on in our life, sometimes we slip back in and we relapse. And these are hard hard, hard moments. We get frustrated and angry. We deal with consequences and we feel like a failure. And a lot of times hopelessness and discouragement start to sink into our lives a little bit. And it takes a lot to pull ourselves back up and pull ourselves out of these hard moments. As we progress in recovery, the difficult moments shift a little bit. Maybe rather than dealing with slips and relapses all the time, We have to stare down the damage that we have done to other people. And we stare that down in the face sometimes. Our difficult moments can be sitting with others as we try to make amends. They come from realizing that the pain that our acting out caused to our spouse or to our children or to other people in our lives. They come in realizing all that we have lost in our lives because of our acting out. And we get frustrated in these moments and they're difficult. We feel worthless and we feel like a failure. And the hopelessness and discouragement can again start to sink in. And it takes a mountain load of courage and bravery to pick ourselves back up and pull ourselves out of these moments. If we stay in recovery and progress even further, the difficult moments can take on another shift sometimes. If we've cleaned up the wreckage of our past, maybe we've changed our addictive cycle. And so we have made progress in our lives. We now sit in a position to actually build a future that we want, to build relationships that we want to have, to build a career and a personal life that reflect our authentic true self and our values. This shift comes with its own set of difficult moments. In order to build a life that we want to have, in order to build the relationships that we want to have, we have to dig deeper into ourselves than we have thus far in recovery, deeper than we've ever probably dared to look before. We have to take full 100% responsibility for our lives. 
And these difficult moments look like dealing with our trauma from the past. They look like breaking ties or close connections with people in our lives who are not living authentically or who don't want to have a mutual relationship. These moments look like challenging the status quo, the normal way things are done in your family. Instead of just taking one for the team or taking the abuse, you actually challenge the status quo. They involve setting boundaries with people that we love and hold dear, who tell us that we have changed and maybe that we're a bitch for wanting things to be different. These difficult moments are hard. They're really hard. And we get frustrated and angry. We feel shame and we feel selfish. And hopelessness and discouragement start to sink in. And again, it takes a mountain load of courage and bravery to pick ourselves back up and pull ourselves out of these moments. As I work through my own recovery, my difficult moments have taken many shifts over the years. There are moments, hours, days, even weeks sometimes where I want to be done. I want to give up. I want to go back to the way I was living before. I tell myself that it wasn't that bad, right? I lie to myself. I tell myself that things were easier when I was just taking abuse in my regular life and acting out in my shadow life. I've been at this thing we call recovery for five and a half years. That's a small percentage of my life. It's only 13%, just about 13% of my life. For 13% of my life, I have been living the recovery principles. I've been attending 12-step fellowship meetings for only 13% of my life. When I wonder why my old patterns and my old ways of behavior seem so strong, I remind myself that I've only been on the path to change for 13% of my life. No wonder the pull of those old patterns seem to be so strong. I've been living those patterns for 87% of my life. I do count my childhood years because those years shaped a lot of those patterns. It can be easy to let the hopelessness and discouragement sink into our lives. I have struggled with that more than I probably care to admit. I've shared my thoughts before about hope and about choosing bottom in different episodes of the podcast. I want to share with you a recent shift I've had about finding the motivation and the inspiration to keep working at recovery because recovery is hard and it requires everything from us. If we are serious about the endeavor, if we truly want recovery, we can't hold anything back. All of our behaviors, our thought patterns, and our beliefs need to be questioned and examined. This is why most people don't stay in recovery, guys. This is why most people don't make it past the five-year mark. Most of us have parts of our lives we don't want to examine. (laughs) I do. I don't want to put everything on the table. I want to keep my one or two or six or 12 little vices that I have or thought patterns that I love. I think of these more like survival skills. They are things and patterns I learned to survive in the chaotic childhood that I lived. I needed them. The shift that occurs when you hang out in recovery long enough is a shift from surviving to thriving. We move from just surviving our lives to actually building a life that we love to thriving. And in order to thrive, some of these survival skills I learned along the way have to go. They have to be chucked out the window. I have to learn a new set of skills, a thriving skill set. No matter what stage of recovery you are at, whether it's early on and your difficult moments look like slips and relapses, or you're a little way in and your difficult moments involve facing damage and amends, 
Or maybe you're further in still and your difficult moments involve giving up your survival skills and being brave enough to trust and try again at this thing we call relationship. No matter where you are at, the question for me is always how and where do I find the motivation to continue? How do I find the strength, the courage, the bravery to pick myself up, pull myself out of these moments and stay engaged in recovery and try again? How do you do it? Where does that motivation come from? If you're a regular listener, you know that one of the major events going on in my life right now is working through and dealing with my mom's cancer diagnosis and impending death. I've shared with you a little bit about how hard it is. I've shared a little glimpse into that grief that I'm trying to work through and the emotions surrounding the large number of losses I've experienced in my life and particularly in the last five years. I want to get a little bit more personal today with this and share with you how this really difficult thing is helping me stay engaged in recovery. How it is helping me find the motivation to, to try again and again and again and again. I want to tell you how watching my mom die is giving me courage and making me brave. Because it is. It so is. This is the second parent that I've watched die. The experiences are both similar and also very different all at the same time. Part of that is me. I'm different. I've been in recovery for a while, so my behaviors are different. My outlook and my life are different. So that makes these two situations different. My dad's, my dad's cancer diagnosis was one of the catalysts that got me into recovery, and I've shared that with you before. I started therapy and 12-step recovery for my sex addiction just a few months after his terminal diagnosis. Just a few months later, I temporarily, temporarily, just a few months later, I temporarily relocated to Utah to help out. While I was living with my dad during the last few months of his life, I was his primary caregiver. I took care of his daily needs. I fed him, sat with him, and managed his medications. I was attending phone 12-step fellowship meetings and doing therapy via Skype with my therapist. It was hard, it was hectic, it was stressful, and yet so full of love all at the same time. My dad's approach to death was denial. The day he died, he told me how excited he was to get better and plant a garden this coming up spring. Whether that denial was because of his brain function was diminished because he had brain cancer, or whether it was willful, I won't know till I see him again in the next life. But either way, his approach was denial. In some ways, the denial made life really hard. He wouldn't talk about death. He wouldn't talk about events from his childhood like he wouldn't reminisce with us. There was no nostalgia. He wouldn't give advice or answer questions about life. Some of my siblings wanted to talk to him about some thoughts and ideas, and he was just unwilling. And there was just kind of no way to even resolve issues or talk about issues. In some ways, though, the denial made life really easy because we didn't have to talk about death. (laughs) We didn't have to talk about anything painful. That was kind of the status quo in my family. We don't really talk about emotions. So we didn't have to talk about anything. And we could handle the details of dying without him getting really upset or emotional, like giving up cars Uh, turning cards in, quitting work, canceling subscription, handling finances. Some ways that denial made life really easy for us. Once we entered hospice with my dad, it was a steady and rapid decline. 
We had only about five weeks of hospice care before he quietly slipped away into the next life at our home, surrounded by most of his family. This time around with my mom, things are drastically different. Like I said, part of that's because I'm different. My recovery is different. My self-knowledge and awareness is different. The relationship I have with my mom is different. My ability to feel my own emotions is very different. Not only am I different, but the circumstances around my mom are different. During these last few months of my mom's life, I'm not her primary caregiver. I see her three to four times a week, sometimes more, and we spend a lot of time together. But someone else is managing her daily needs and medications. My mom's approach to death is very different than my dad's. She is not in denial, not one bit. In true rescuer fashion, she wants everything to be handled before she dies. She doesn't want us to have to lift one finger or do one thing after she dies. She wants all of her possessions gone and all of her life handled right now. In some ways, this acceptance has really, really helped. We're able to talk about death and life after death. We discuss past events and memories that we have. We're working at scanning pictures together and capturing the memories and the names and things that she knows that we don't know about these pictures and about different things. And we're reliving parts of our lives. She has been able to provide direction on things that she wants and needs. And she has asked us children what we want or need from her and has tried to provide some closure on things. And so the acceptance has been great. But in some ways, the acceptance is really hard, really hard. The days that she feels really good, people ask things like, are you really dying? (laughs) Because she talked about things right up front, people were kind of expecting her to pass away by now. I would say I even fall into that category a little bit. And so some people are a little impatient as my mom slowly, very slowly declines. She herself, I would say, flows back and forth between accepting and then not wanting to die. I think all of these things, the good and the bad of both situations, is totally right. I would say normal, but I hate that word normal. I just don't really think there is a normal. I think there are commonalities, but no normal. Anyway, back to the point here. I think that both of these things, the good and the bad, are totally right. My parents both handled death differently. The experiences I've had and am having with both of them are different. However, the one commonality I've experienced with them both is this flood of memories that comes through this process. Memories of time with them, of the things that they've taught me, memories of trips and vacations, of meals that they like to make or like to eat, memories of working with them and playing with them. I've thought a lot about the impact and the influence that each of them have had in my life. I've thought about the character traits that I picked up from them. I've thought about how we are the same and how we are different. I've thought so much about each one of them as I've been flooded with these memories during the last days of their lives. I think this is a common thing that happens when you hear about the sickness or the passing of a friend or a loved one, or even a not-so-loved one. We tend to think about our experiences with that person, and our mind wanders back to the impact and the influence that they might have had in our lives. At my dad's funeral, people lined up for a long time to visit with us and attend his funeral. I was so touched by all the people that came. I loved hearing their stories and hearing the things that they knew about my dad. I've had similar experiences with my mom so far, even before her passing. So many have reached out to her and to us, 
to offer memories and to say a few words about how she has impacted their lives. It has been awesome to listen to these experiences. And the big question, the big thing on my mind, what I've been thinking about over and over and over again is this. What is the legacy that I'm leaving in this world? Because I think about the legacy that my mom and my dad have left in this world. When my obituary shows up in the paper, when I get sick and announce to the world that I'm on my way out, what is the first thing that people will think about me? What is the first thing that will come to their minds? When, when they're flooded with memories, when they reflect on our relationship, what is it that they will think and feel? This idea, this thought about what legacy I'm leaving the world has been a major source of inspiration and motivation and bravery and courage over the last few months. There are some general truths I believe about the world. I believe everyone born to this world wants to love, laugh, and live. I believe that. I believe everyone is truly doing the best that they can in the circumstances they find themselves in. I believe when women have children, they want the very best for them. They hope to pass on their good qualities. They hope to stop the things that their mom did that they didn't like. They look at their children and truly hope for a better life. I also believe that people get stuck and they get overwhelmed. And they are, they are sometimes dealt a hand that they have no capacity to play and sometimes don't even understand or know the game that's happening. I believe that despite all of our good intentions, we sometimes respond and act in ways that are hurtful and damaging. I believe that most of the time, without outside intervention and help, we fall into old patterns, we reenact trauma from our childhood, and we catch ourselves behaving and responding in ways just like our parents or in ways that were modeled for us in our lives that maybe aren't so great. While there are amazing things that my mom taught me, Things that I never, ever want to forget. Like, truth is truth is truth is truth, no matter where you find it. She used to tell me that all the time. Like, my love and my passion for music. She taught me how to play the piano, how to play the guitar. She taught me how to sing. She taught me to love growing plants and all about flowers. She taught me to see the beauty that is all around me in the world. My mom taught me to swim, and she taught me to love the ocean. All growing up as a child, she read to us every single night. She taught me to love books and to love learning. She taught me about God and his love for me. So much of the woman I am today, I learned from my mom. And my mom loved me so, so much. My dad did as well. Sometimes I long for his regular phone call to ask me if I'm taking care of my car. He would call and just ask me if last time I had the oil changed and the last time I got my tires rotated. He would ask me if I was dating anyone and would ask about my job and my finances. He would always, always end by asking when I was coming home next and how much he wanted to see me. There are so many things I want to carry on from my parents. So many traditions of service, generosity, learning, kindness, and love that I want to be known for in this world. Just like my dad and just like my mom. And... There are so many things about my parents and about their lives and the way they interacted with each other that will end with me. And that is the major source of inspiration, motivation, bravery, and courage that I find right now in recovery. Because there are some things that need to end with me. 
Here's a list of just here's a list of just a few of them that will end with me. Addiction. I know I can't control the future and I know I can't control others. And I know I will do everything in my power to eradicate addiction from the lives of people in my sphere or in my influence. Objectification. This is a major problem with my family of origin in many ways. There is the common form of objectification, judging others based on appearance alone. That is a problem. But there's also a problem of using people, of only picking them up and then putting them down when they can be of use to you. I will continue to work towards seeing every single person as a person worthy of love and respect and to end the objectification that I've inherited. Another thing that will end with me is sexism. We have a major problem in my family with valuing the thoughts, opinions, and work of men over that of women. It has affected me in ways I've known and felt and also in a number of ways I'm just starting to fully understand. And this is what I'm working on a lot right now. But learning to value what I bring to the table as a woman is something that's important to me. And I'm working to love the women around me and to value all of us and for the amazing people that we are. Another thing that will end with me is unhealthy boundaries or just lack of boundaries. So many of my own relational problems and trauma have to do with the lack of understanding around boundaries and the lack of boundaries in my life. And the violation of boundaries, I would say, as well. That ends with me. I will have my own boundaries and I will encourage and talk to all the people in my life about boundaries. Lying, exaggerating, distorting, twisting the truth. We have a long history in my family of all of these things. And that is going to end with me. We twist the truth. We add tone of voice that implies something else. We distort or tell half-truths. We exaggerate or just flat-out lie about things. Just this last week, I had two counts of this with my brother. This stops with me. I will be a truth-teller. I think I've always been a truth-teller. And that is one of the reasons that I've struggled in my family. These are just a few. A few of the major ones that I can think of right now. I also can think of many others. Using food to numb emotions will end with me. The inability to talk about difficult things and emotions, that will end with me. The inability to fight or argue fairly, that will also end with me. Enmeshment will end with me. Codependency, so many others I can think of that will end with me. I share these with you today not to speak ill of my family or to complain about them or what they modeled or taught me. I desperately love my family, and like I said, I believe that they are each doing the very best that they can with the circumstances that they have. My heart hurts when I see some of the difficult things playing out in their lives. I wish I could open their hearts and their brains and do kind of like a brain dump so they could see and feel and know all the things that I've learned in the last five and a half years in recovery. I also know that even if I could do that, the likelihood of them understanding, valuing, or using the information is very low. Because that is another thing that recovery has taught me. We only value that which we have earned ourselves. I believe that. We only value that which we have earned ourselves. We can wish, we can admire from afar, we can desire and want things in our lives. We can pray for them. We can spend all of our time talking about them. But unless we earn them, unless we pay the price for something... We do not value it. Even if I told my family every single thing that I know, everything I've learned, every feeling I've felt, everything, 
the likelihood of them valuing or acting on that information is very low because they did not earn it. They did not pay the price to value it. Staying engaged in recovery, continuing to move forward is hard no matter what stage you are at. Beginning a little way in like me or maybe even beyond me, 10, 15 years. It's not the easy choice. The easy choice is to slowly move back to old patterns, comfortable routines, to keep moving forward, to keep pushing yourself, to continue to dig deeper into your life and truly change at the very core, the very fundamental of yourself. To make that change is really hard. We have to find motivation along the way. That motivation and inspiration changes from time to time as we keep moving along. And different events and experiences in our life shape that motivation and inspiration. Finding a new source of inspiration out of the deaths of my parents is not something I expected. Not even close, really. Staying open to the events life presents me and the lessons available to me is another thing I've learned in recovery. One day, hopefully much further in the future, an announcement will be made to the world that my time has come. We will all have that opportunity to die one day. When that announcement comes, I won't need to wonder what my legacy will be or what people think of me. Well, what they think of me is none of my business anyway, but I won't need to wonder. I won't need to wonder or worry about it because I'm engaged in recovery. I'm working now to make amends, to change my life, to build relationships. I'm intentional about my life and my healing. I'm paying the price now every day to be different to end some of these negative patterns in my life that I've inherited. I'm not perfect at it, not even close. And I'm confident when that day comes that there will be people who probably won't have great memories of me. And I won't worry about that either. I know I will have done all that I could to have made things right. And my life will stand as evidence of that. As I reflect about my own legacy and the things that I'm going to leave for those people in my life, I'm so grateful that one of those things I'm so grateful that one of those things that I will be leaving is the legacy of recovery. Is the legacy of recovery, the legacy of change, the legacy of second chances. The legacy of moving forward. And I'm really grateful for the number of things that that legacy will not include. Those number of things that I'm ending with me. Those number of things that will stop because I refuse to participate in them anymore. Today, ladies, your assignment is to evaluate your legacy. Evaluate some of those things in your life that need to end with you. Those things you don't want to pass on to those that you love. List them out. Evaluate yourself and make a plan to make adjustments as needed. Also, think about the things that you want to be known for. What are those characteristics? Make a list of them. Evaluate yourself and make a plan to make adjustments as needed. I know that inspiration for recovery and ways to stay engaged in the struggle of recovery come in different packages. I would have never expected this opportunity with my mom passing away to be a source of motivation or inspiration or courage or bravery in my life. But it really has been as I've gone through this process and spent time with her and watched some of the struggle that she's been going through. I've learned some of the things that I don't want to be part of my legacy. I've learned some of the things that need to end with me. And 
I'm incredibly grateful for the things that have started with me, like their legacy of recovery. I'm grateful for the courage and for the bravery that I feel and the determination that I feel to keep moving forward and to keep trying over and over again and to build the life that I want to live, to thrive and not just survive anymore. I'm so grateful for that in my life. Before we close today, just a quick few quick reminders. Remember that Worth Recovery is now blogging. It's awesome. Uh, Shannon, who has joined our Worth Recovery team, is sharing her recovery journey and blogging with us. I'm super excited to have her as part of the team, and I'm excited to bring her story soon to the podcast. So you can find our recent blog posts at worthrecovery.com slash blog. Or if you go to the Worth Recovery website at the top, there's just a tab that says blog. So join us. Join the blog. Registration also is now open for our event in Bothell, Washington. That's just outside of Seattle. Coming up this summer on July 15th. Our event is titled Intentional Recovery. Healing happens on purpose. And I'm so excited for this event. So make sure you get on the website and get all the details of that too. And then of course, before we close, a big shout out to our Worth Warriors. You ladies continue to amaze me. Thank you so much for your help in making sure that when women reach out for help in addiction, that they have the voice in the hand of a woman to reach back to them. You guarantee that this podcast remains free for all those women out there. And you guys, I can't, I am so humbled by the continual progress that we make in the number of downloads, the number of countries, the number of followers. It just blows my mind. And I'm incredibly grateful for all of you that find value in what I have to say. As always, ladies, remember, please remember, I hope that you remember that you are worth recovery. No matter what is going on in your life, no matter how shameful you feel, no matter what those difficult moments look like, if they're slips or relapses, if they're damage control and amends, if they're shifting from surviving to thriving, no matter what they look like, no matter what others say around you, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I believe in you. I know that you can do it. So keep up the fight. You are such an inspiration to me. Don't forget, you can become a Worth Warrior and support Worth Recovery. If you like, if this podcast has helped you even a little bit, if you think it's worth 50 cents, get online and join the movement. All the details are on the website, worthrecovery.com. I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.